0: Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible-teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg.
1: And so maybe they felt slighted because they weren't able to take part of that plunder, perhaps, Or it could have been because Ephraim was held in such high esteem. And why would a tribe that was held in such high esteem not be counted among the others?
0: untruth in Christ, our scripture says, Now the men of Ephraim said to him, Why have you done this to us by not calling us when you went to fight with the Midianites? Welcome to our Bible study with Pastor Rob Kellogg. The men of Ephraim seem to have cared more about the spoil and the recognition than the overall good of Israel. Instead of being jealous about the recognition that others received, they should have been happy that God's people were rescued and that they had some part in the victory. Jealousy often hinders the work of God. As followers of Jesus Christ, we must avoid jealousy and envy at all costs. Now let's join Pastor Rob.
1: Let's get right into the word tonight. We're going to be looking at chapter 8 this evening, Judges chapter 8. Over the last few weeks, we've been going through the, the judges, and specifically Gideon. And you recall uh, that in chapter 6, we see this young man, Gideon, who was uh, of the tribe of Manasseh. And his father, Joash, was a, an idol-worshipping man in the town that they lived in, in Oprah. And his father had set up an altar to Baal, which, as you know, is a Canaanite god that is very well known in the uh, Phoenician and Canaanite region, had been for a long time. And God had called Gideon to, to go against the Amalekites and the Midianites and others from the east. And the reason being is these, this band of people would come into this area in Manasseh, near where Gideon lived, and during the time of harvest, they would come into their fields and destroy their crops and anything out in the fields, whether it was livestock or grain, and it was certainly impoverishing them. And so God brought Gideon to, to the limelight, in a sense, by, by just simply calling this young man. And at the time, you recall, he wasn't very confident in himself, And God, through a series of events in his life, confirmed that God was speaking to him indeed and also confirmed that God would give him the victory over the enemies, over the Amalekites, over the Midianites, and over those people of the east. And you remember last week we covered Gideon or Judges chapter 7 where after Gideon, before God allows him, The victory for the army that was out in the field, the Midianites and the Amalekites, God first had to move on Gideon's heart to destroy those things at home and to get things in order at home before he would export that victory outside of his home. And the same thing is true for us. You know, God always works in our lives. And if we're aware of it and we're willing to submit to God, He wants to do that work in us. And it's always about the relationship, isn't it? Because he wants to do a work in us before we take that out into the world. And that really is our witness, is what God has, what he's doing and what he's done in us, and also what he's going to do in the future. And so, but things have to be done first in the private before they can be made public. And and so we see Gideon doing that. He's faithful in destroying his father's altar at great peril to his own life even then, finally his dad comes to his aid when the countrymen or the area there, they wanted to kill Gideon because they were all Baal worshipers and he tore down the altar and the pole, the sacred wood image that they would worship to the goddess Asherah. And so Gideon tore that all down and sacrificed and you recall that God had told Gideon that he was going to give the Midianites and the Amalekites into his hand. and in order for God to really encourage Gideon, because of his weakness, which we all have, Gideon puts a fleece before the Lord, a uh, a lamb's wool, if you will, and put that out. And you remember, he did a series of two tests to kind of test the Lord to make sure that God was indeed the one who was speaking to him and that God was going to indeed give him victory. And God, in his graciousness, as he always is, he gives to Gideon his wish, in a sense. Not that uh, it was a wish. It was, he gave him his desire to really know for sure, and certainly God did that. And then we, we looked at uh, chapter 7, where God now was going to bring this army of 32,000 men of Gideon, of the men in that area, of Manasseh and Naphtali and Asher, and he was going to bring them down to a, a well. They call it the Well of Herod. And it was basically a stream, uh, a spring actually, that came up from the ground. It's there today. And uh, that water would come out and God used this natural spring to kind of winnow or to uh, reduce Gideon's army. That was the second test that God had used. The first one was if anyone was fearful... Or, or they were afraid, uh, that, that got rid of a lot of people. And finally, at the end of it all, Gideon's down to 300 men. And so Gideon, uh, goes out, as you recall, and he encompasses with three different armies of 100 men with, uh, trumpets in their right hand and pitchers in their left hand and torches inside the pitchers. They surround the camp of the Midianites at night, and then they break the pots, Break the um, the pitchers. They take out the torches. They blow the trumpets. The enemy is completely con- uh, confused. Now they're running around. They're very confused, and then they starting to they're starting to kill each other, and then they start making a run for it toward the east, which is the Jordan River, which is uh, more of their their the where they lived, and so they are trying to escape and get over the Jordan River. And we can pick up if we could. Let's just read. Uh, Verses 19, it says, So Gideon and the hundred men who were with him, we're in uh, chapter 7. I just want to get the context here as we get into chapter 8. So Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outpost of the camp, and, and beginning of the middle watch, just as they had posted the watch, and they blew the trumpets, they broke the pitchers that were in their hands, and then the three companies blew the trumpets, they broke the pitchers, they held the torches in their left hands, and the trumpets in their right hands for blowing. And they cried, The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And every man stood in his place all around the camp. And the whole army ran and cried and fled. And when the three hundred blew the trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his company throughout the whole camp. So there was great confusion, great confusion. The army didn't even know what was happening, who was a friend, who was a foe. And it says, And the army fled to Beth Acacia toward Zerorah, as far as the border of Abel, mahola by Tabith, and the men of Israel gathered together from Naphtali, Asher, and Manasseh, and they pursued the Midianites. So now we have these tribes that are immediately to the north of uh, of Manasseh, which is uh, Naphtali and uh, uh, Asher and Naphtali, and so these men they're all chasing the Midianites, and they come down. Uh, excuse me, verse twenty four. Then Gideon sent messengers throughout all the mountains of Ephraim. Ephraim is the tribe immediately to their south of Manasseh. So they send for this tribe to come down against the Midianites and seize them, as uh, from the uh, from the excuse me, and seize from them the watering places as far as Bethbara, which is a place we believe uh, uh, John the Baptist may have baptized Jesus at this place called Beth Abra, which is called the place of the ford. It's a it's a narrow place. It's a, a rocky place. It's not really uh, too deep of water there, very easy to do that kind of thing. It says then all the men of Ephraim gathered together and seized the watering places as far as Bethbara and the Jordan, and they captured the two princes of the Midianites, Oreb and Zeb, and they killed Oreb at the rock of Oreb, and Zeeb they killed at the winepress of Zeb, and they pursued Midian and brought the hundred or brought the heads excuse me of Oreb and Zeeb to Gideon on the other side of the Jordan. And that's where we pick up right now. So let's get right into verse 8 here, or chapter 8, verse 1. It says, Now the men of Ephraim, they said to Gideon, they said, Why have you done this to us by not calling us when you went up to fight the Midianites? And they reprimanded them sharply. Now, we don't know exactly why the men of Ephraim did this. Um, It could be because they felt slighted. Remember, whenever the the armies would go into battle, one of the great uh, benefits of war is the plunder afterward. And so these Midianites and Amalekites, they had a lot of gold and a lot of goods. And so it would be um, silly for any one of the tribes to not want to take part in the, in the war for the, the cleanup afterwards. And so maybe they felt slighted because they weren't able to take part of that plunder, perhaps. Or it could have been because Ephraim... Was held in such high esteem, and why would a tribe that was held in such high esteem not be counted among the others? And it's certainly, especially since it was just right to the south of Manasseh, where Gideon uh, grew up, and so they, they were they were upset about this. And um, you'll recall that in the Bible, after Solomon's reign, the the country. Of Israel was split into two. And you know this the northern ten tribes and the southern two tribes. And those northern ten tribes were often called Ephraim. Uh, often in the prophets, uh, God would just call that whole chunk of the ten tribes up north, he would call that Ephraim or Israel. And then he would call Judah or, or Jerusalem, he would just call it Judah. But it included Judah and Benjamin. So it was just really one name that God would use to. Uh, Identify those 10 tribes in the north. And it was because of uh, Ephraim's uh, preeminence, really. If you recall, uh, Manasseh and Ephraim were the sons of Joseph. And in Genesis chapter 48, it talks about uh, how Manasseh was born first and Ephraim was born second. But yet Joseph put his hand on Ephraim and thus gave him the birthright, making him the... Uh, giving him the birthright, thus making him more prominent. And so this tribe was very significant, and that's why the prophets would even call the northern ten tribes, they would just call the whole thing Ephraim or or Israel. So going on to verse 2, it says, So he said to them, Gideon said to the men of Ephraim, What have I done now in comparison with you? Is not the gleaning of the grapes of Ephraim better than the vintage of Abiezer?' Remember that Gideon was from from Abiezer. It was a group of people within the tribe of Manasseh. And so when when he makes a statement like this, it may sound kind of odd, but basically what he's saying is, you know, the gleaning of the grapes, the gleanings of any field were the outside of a field. When they would go and harvest a field, they would leave a couple rows all around the perimeter of the field, and that would be used for people, the poor people. And uh, those passing through. And so he's basically saying to these angry brothers now, "Are, are not the gleaning of the grapes of Ephraim? Are, aren't the leftovers of, of, of your tribe better than the vintage or the fatness of Abiezar? Which which is really a nice way of appeasing them because of their anger. And so and, and this was a really interesting time in Gideon's life because it was a very tactful way to diffuse a potential powder keg between these two tribes. And if you know the history of Israel, it is uh, their history is such that oftentimes tribes would fight with each other. We see that uh, throughout the Bible, and we're going to see it as we get to the end of Judges as well. It's a horrible thing when brothers uh, who are on the same team fight one another. And um, I love what it says in Proverbs chapter 15, verse 1. It says a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And the tongue of the wise uses knowledge rightly, but the mouth of fools pours forth foolishness. And this is exactly what Gideon was doing. He was returning a soft answer to uh, a tribe that was very powerful, that was uh, very proud and and he returned a soft answer by basically elevating them above himself above their own tribe and so you know it, it is important for us to uh remember that whenever we're in situations where somebody is wronged us or is angry or heated against us it's very easy to return uh uh, like for like, and when somebody calls you a name, you know your flesh rises up, and and it's very easy to get into a yelling match. And one of the greatest shows or the greatest proofs of of a spiritual man is to be able to take stuff like that and and not return evil, right? Isn't that what it says in Romans twelve thirty one? I believe, or Romans twenty one verse something, I forget. (laughs) You know, be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. In fact, I like what it says in Ecclesiastes. It says, Do not be rash with your mouth, and let not your heart, Ecclesiastes 5 verse 2, do not be rash with your mouth, and let not your heart utter anything hastily before God. And why? For God is in heaven, and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. And words can, as you know, uh, Gideon could have returned something and he could have really gotten their face, but instead he diffuses the whole situation by, again, lifting up uh, the other tribe. And um, so it's important for us to to learn something from that too, because we see it here and we should be modeling the same thing. And perhaps today uh, you've been in a situation where somebody's kind of gotten on your case or gotten in your face. And instead of Returning anger, you decide to, you know, take the uh, to take it on the cheek in, in a sense, and and turn the other cheek, and and that's a good thing to do because our mouth will get us into trouble every time. You know, when he says, uh, "Is not the gleaning of the grapes of Ephraim better than the vintage of Abiezer?" You recall back in uh, chapter seven that we just read just a few moments ago, in verse uh, twenty-five, it was the It was the Ephraimites, those from Ephraim, who came down and helped them pursue the Midianites and the Amalekites. And they were the ones who captured the two princes, not the two kings, but the two princes of the Midianites, Uh, Oreb and Zeab, and they killed them. And this is one of the reasons why uh, Gideon could say to them, you know, look what you guys have done. you captured, we haven't even gotten the kings yet, and you guys have already captured the two princes. And so... What you've done is a really great thing. And so that really kind of ended the squabble between the two of them. It's kind of interesting, isn't it, that people will squabble over stuff like this. But that is the flesh if we're not careful. And so let's go on to verse uh, 3. Because Gideon says, God has delivered into your hands the princes of Midian, Oreb, and Zeeb And what was I able to do in comparison with you? You guys have done this great thing. We haven't even caught the kings yet, and you got the two princes. And then notice what it says. Then their anger toward Gideon subsided when he had said that. And we're going to see Zeba and Zalmunna captured later on in the chapter. But let's go on to verse four here. It says, "When Gideon then came to the Jordan, he and the three hundred men who were with him crossed over. So now they're moving." eastward toward the Jordan River because all this this battle had happened on the west side of the Jordan River. Now the, the, the enemy is fleeing now, going over the Jordan, trying to get over there. And now that's where Gideon and his army is going as well. So he and 300 men who were with him, they crossed over, exhausted, but still in pursuit. And then he said to the men of Succoth, Succoth is... Or Sukkot is how you'd pronounce it, I believe, in Hebrew. Uh, this town, Sukkot, was right on the eastern uh, side of the Jordan River, not too far away from the Jordan River. And so they just get over the border, they're tired, they're exhausted. And he says to Gideon says to the men of Sukkot, he said, Please give loaves of bread to the people who follow me, for they're exhausted, and you can understand why. And he says, For I am pursuing Zeba." And Zalmunna, the kings of Midian. So these guys are different. These are the kings. The other two were the princes. And so Zeba and Zalmunna. And this is the first time we see these two kings mentioned in the Bible. Zeba, his name means man killer or sacrifice. How would you like your mother to name you that when you're born? You know, for your mother to look down at this cute little bundle and say, man killer. <laughs> How great is that? Or sacrifice? Maybe this kid is so ugly. You know, never mind i won 't go there, and Zelmuna, his name means deprived of protection you know isn 't that a nice thing to name your son, deprived of protection amazing, and the leaders of Sakat said, "Are the hands of Zeba and Zalmuna now in your hand that we should give bread to your army and you know what they were really concerned about is this tribe because remember. Um, these people groups on the other side of the Jordan, uh, Manasseh, Gad, and Reuben, they dwelt on that other side of the Jordan River. And they're thinking to themselves, unless we see the heads of these two kings, uh, we don't want to have any kind of relationship with you. We don't want to partner with you because if you don't get them, they're going to come back and take care of us. And so uh, we see them kind of pushing back on the children of Israel, on Gideon and his army now, because I believe they were afraid, afraid of what would might happen to them if they led the other men, uh, if they were part of capturing those two kings. So verse 7, so Gideon said, For this cause, when the Lord has delivered Zeba and Zomuda into my hand, then I will tear your flesh with the thorns of the wilderness and with briars. And then he went up from there to Penuel. Now Penuel is just... Uh, a little bit, a town a little bit more to the east of Sakot, and it was known for, it had a really big tower in this place. So he also spoke to the men of Penuel, and again, they're still pursuing these two kings and their leftover army. And so he spoke also to the men of Penuel, saying, When I come back in peace, uh, actually I skipped a verse, I'm sorry. Uh, verse 8, let's go back to verse 8. Then he went up from there to Penuel, and he spoke to them in the same way. And the men of Penuel answered him as the men of Sakot had answered him. So he, had, he also spoke to the men of Penuel, saying, When I come back, I will tear down this tower. So now you've got two of these people groups, uh, two of these towns of men that should have been their their, their allies, are now not really helping them for fear of the Midianites. If something, if they don't wipe them out, then they're going to have to deal with them. So uh, Gideon makes a promise. You know, when we come back, after we get these two guys, we're going to come back and take care of business here. And so in verse 10, it says, Now Zeba and Zalmunna were at Karkor, and we don't really know where this place is, but it's probably somewhere south of both of these towns in a desert area. And so uh Ziba and Zamuna were there at the city called Karkor, or this area called Karkor, with their armies with them, about fifteen thousand men, all who were left of the army of the people of the east, for one hundred and twenty thousand men who drew the sword had fallen. So now we see in this verse ten here uh, we can see how big the army of the Amalekites and the Midianites and these other from the east, how many it really comprised, 135,000, that's where we get that number. So 120 of them had fallen, now they're chasing these 15,000 that are left along with these two kings. Then in verse 11 it says, Then Gideon went up by the road of those who dwell on the tents on the east of Noba and Jogbaha, which are two other cities, and he attacked the army while the camp felt secure. And when Zeba and Zalmunna fled, he pursued them, and he took the two kings of Midian, Zeba and Zalmunna, and he routed the whole army. He, he basically destroyed the whole army, confused them, tore them up. And it says in verse 13, Then Gideon, the son of Joash, returned from battle from the ascent of Herez, and he caught a young man of the men of Succoth and interrogated him. And he wrote down for him, the leaders of Sukkot and its elders, 77 men, and then he came to the men of Sukkot, and now he's going to deliver on the promise that he had told them because of the way they treated them when they were pursuing these kings. Now they literally have the two kings in their hands. They haven't killed them yet, and they bring them back, and they go into this town that they first came to, and said, see the two guys here? We're gonna take, we're gonna, um, inflict some, uh, We're going to teach you. In fact, I think I like how it says here in verse 16. Uh, Let me back up to verse 15, actually. So then he came to the men of Sakoth and said, Here are Zeba and Zelmunna about whom you ridiculed me.
0: I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of Judges. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140.